views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times at this time. Rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people. When those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the beast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff, porn, and pedo forms begin to get Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Here on the Black Talk Radio Network, it is Wednesday night, November 18, 2015. Joined tonight with the engineer, the founder and creator of the Black Talk Media Project, Black Talk Radio Network, Scotty Reed. We are in prayer with our brother Max Parthas and his wife, Tribal Rain. Uh, they've had some medical issues in the family, and Sister Tribal was hospitalized. Last news I heard. Max will be listening in, no doubt, and may even be with us in the chat box. I don't know. He may call in um, and share a word with us because I know uh, abolitionism is, is close to his heart. So he may have a word that he wants to share with us, even in this time of stress. Uh, but welcome, all listeners, tonight. We have a, a full plate, as usual, as abolitionism never ceases, as the, the problems that continue to arise and try to fight us off never seem to stop. Uh, tonight we have, uh, for what we're going to be discussing on the program, uh, we've got an interesting and very important case from a political prisoner and abolitionist, Mumia Abu-Jamal. Uh, we've been covering his case over the last couple of years, uh, specific to his medical mistreatment. Uh, basically, uh, several of the political prisoners uh, that have been in in this last uh rush of brothers and sisters from the last 30 to 40 years that were rounded up and ended the black power movements, black nationalist movements, uh, have all been suffering uh, from the same type of mistreatment, uh, lack of uh, access to medical treatment and watching their medical conditions continue to uh, deteriorate, risking their lives. We've lost some, uh, Brother Phil Africa, earlier this year. so we do know that this is a serious issue that they're facing, and he is actually taking them to court over this. Uh, uh, Pennsylvania was sued by Mumia Abu-Jamal over the withholding of medicine from prisoners by prison officials, and today uh, they heard the first oral arguments in that case. So that's going to affect not only him versus the state of Pennsylvania, but obviously very wide-ranging, as we've covered um, on this program, on Abolitionist Daily and uh, Political Prisoner Radio uh, as well. We've covered uh, at length the number of individuals who are caught up in this medical malpractice of the state uh, and the federal government towards its prisoners and understanding the, the players that are involved. We've covered a lot that has to do with Corizon and all the deaths in custody. Thousands of people in states like Florida Quite literally, uh, last year, almost 250 people died in custody. Many of those were medical malpractice related. Uh, So this is what is going on in the country. We'll be covering that. We've got a story about the black students from uh, Cornell 
University, a, a student-run organization, the 12 students from Black Students United, who entered into the school president, Elizabeth Garrett's office this past Tuesday to submit a letter outlining demands for the university to divest its endowment from interest-based in prisons and mass incarceration. So uh, similar to Columbia divest and the divestiture movement that is becoming more and more widespread throughout the university systems, um, as well as uh, individuals' personal investments, uh, as we discussed last week uh, on, on the previous program about the tool that's even been made available now um, to help you to go into your investments and find out what is related to prison uh, prison stock investment. So uh, we continue to see abolitionist efforts uh, by individuals, whether they realize they're truly abolitionist or, or not, they are working uh, more or less hand in hand with what we're trying to do to destroy this system. Uh, we'll be talking about California officials voting on Thursday to divert $500 million to open new jails. And this is, of course, in the uh, climate that was created by uh, Bernie Sanders mentioning, uh, seems like years ago, it was only a couple of months ago, that was the big story that he had put out the legislation to uh, in private prisons, and we really thought that it was going to become a talking point politically through these debates and uh, conversations about uh, who's running for president, but we're still waiting to see that truly manifest. Well, here we are in this climate. Uh, we're seeing the state of California is uh, spending $500 million. Now, mind you, California has a, uh, I believe it's $2, million, $2 billion at least, no, I think it's maybe more than that. Uh, Max could tell us the exact numbers, but they have a several billions of dollars dedicated to the Departments of Corrections uh, for the state of California. That's, a, I mean, an enormous part of their, their state budget. Well, there's $500 million more million going to replace jail beds uh, with medical and mental health beds. Um, so as we've talked about on this program, there's uh, nearly 400,000 people with mental illness issues in this country that are in state or federal custody, and uh, roughly about 30, 36,000 to 38,000, somewhere in there, uh, that are in state hospitals for mental health issues. So that's a ridiculous uh, proportions there. So we'll be talking about um, civil, uh, criminal justice and civil rights activists pro uh, protesting the decision, which counters the purpose of the popular Proposition 47, was passed last year to reclassify low-level felonies uh, to misdemeanors, and redirect funds to re, uh, reduce recidivism. Uh, also, the Ohio ACLU reported on trending uh, on a new trending issue within the jails that involves inmates being forced to pay fees during incarceration. Um, and I believe we'll be able to probably tie that into another story. Uh, since we won't be having our regular segments, uh, to my knowledge, we may, I'm not 100% sure, but I think we're not going to be able to have our normal segments tonight with uh, Ferguson in America since Max is out. And um, I did not see an abolitionist in profile, so we'll probably be covering news stories, and this is an open forum also, so we'll be pushing the phone number and really encouraging individuals to call in and participate in the news that we're sharing. We've also got a story uh, from Business Insider that talks about uh, a leaked collection of uh, 70 million prisoner phone calls that suggest a fundamental legal principles being violated in the U.S., a story that's discussing how many uh, tens of thousands of uh, prisoner phone calls were recorded, which are supposed to be protected by attorney-client privilege as according to the Constitution. Uh, this is uh, part of the, the pay-for-phone calls uh, scandal that's been going on for many years, the, the multi-billion dollar corporations that are charging 
uh, even had to be regulated uh, regulated by the FCC recently to cut down the cost that they were charging families to to contact their loved ones and for prisoners to make phone calls to their attorneys. It's all a scam, and they've been recording the calls the whole time. So we'll cover all these stories. And, of course, like I said, it's an open forum, so we'll have the phone lines open and encourage individuals to participate and share with us. Um, we see, Scotty, I think also we may uh, have some update we can give from uh, the the war front in uh, Minneapolis. As I understand, Sister Nakima Levy-Pounds was involved in a uh, protest up there over the brother that was uh, unarmed and murdered by local police up there. And I think they actually had the highway shut down and protested and, and been causing uh, causing some problems for the system up there. But I know she had been uh, in the protest up there, and I believe she was actually even arrested. So Yes, she was. Peace and uh, good evening to you, brother. Oh, good evening to you as well. Good evening to the listeners. And, of course, my thoughts and prayers, as I'm sure with the rest of the Black Talk Radio Network family, is with Tribal Wayne who is a uh, abolitionist in her own right and the wife of uh, the co-host, co-producer, and, of course, abolitionist Max Parthis. So uh, we hope that, um, you know, that she makes a speedy recovery. Um, it could have been worse than what it was, but it's still bad. So, you know, just keep her in your thoughts. If you're a praying person, say some prayers. Uh, if you believe in metaphysical healing, send some of them metaphysical thoughts her way. Uh, them healing vibrations and whatnot, um, because uh, she's a very important member of our family. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, on the, um, um, you were just talking about, um, who were you just talking about? Nakima, uh, Sister Nakima uh, Levy Pounds, our abolitionist mm -hmm. sister up there in Minnesota, past guest on the program, uh, an attorney, a former attorney of the year. I think she's the current. Uh, Minnesota. She's current sitting, I believe, yes, sir. Yes, yeah, state attorney of the year uh, who came on this program and told people that the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery. Uh, it mm -hmm. amended slavery, and what you're calling mass right. incarceration is really just a continuation of slavery. Uh, so she definitely knows what it is, and she knows what's going on. And um, yes, yeah, she did get arrested. Uh, she uh, got out of jail. Uh, along with some other protesters who had or demonstrators who had been uh, locked up. The, uh, she said it wasn't planned or anything. It just went down that way. And so uh, she is out of jail. And uh, but she's back out there on the job. Now, I do know she had an opportunity to talk to the uh, folks out of Baltimore through the Real News Network. And they have uh, something posted on Facebook. But before I play that uh, again, um, yeah, um, Johanan is correct. We are because I had to throw this together like real quick. And, you know, so, um, no, we're not going to do our regular segments. But I do want to encourage people to call in. If you have any questions uh, that you would like to ask, if you have any, you know, comments, any strategies you would like to suggest in terms of eliminating legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, by all means, Give us a call because on this program, we normally uh, don't take a whole lot of calls because we be trying to put out, you know, a lot of information and whatnot. And so, you know, tonight is the night if you ever wanted to call in and, and share, you know, with our listening audience and us as host of this program of then tonight is the night to do so. Uh, it's not by design that we are not really, you know, we don't solicit a whole lot of phone calls. It's just that. 
Max and Johanan and sometimes myself will um, just have some stories that just we feel like they have to get out there. And then, of course, Max and Johanan puts in a lot of research for that Ferguson is America, you know, uh, uh, segment and whatnot. And so, you know, it just takes up a lot of time. But uh, since Max isn't, you know, unexpectedly isn't here tonight, and the uh, program uh, wasn't, you know, set up. So I just threw together the stories that he had already posted in our planning group. And um, so it's open line, open open forums. But you, we definitely want to talk about those stories that Johanna brought up. Uh, Johanna, do you want me to play this video of uh, the, uh, the real news put out? I think Sister Nakima Levy Pounds is on is interviewed in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should we should might as well start off with that. I mean, that's okay. The, we'll do the, that. Uh, the pressing story of the moment: uh, the the uh, justice for Brother Clark that was again murdered uh, in Minneapolis up there. And so far, I mean, from the news that I've been reading about it, uh, they're complaining that Minneapolis cops have have not even have never been investigated or disciplined after over 439 complaints that have been filed against the police. I mean, if you remember the brother, I don't remember his name. If you remember the brother, he was in Minneapolis in the mall that had went to go pick up his daughter from the daycare. And uh, yeah, I remember there waiting that on his story. Child to be, and the cops came and told him he couldn't sit there and, and interrupts flip, you know, body slam, arrest him, everything else. I mean, like it's, it's wild up there. Yeah. So uh, we want to thank um, real, the real news com. That is one of those independent, uh, media producers out there working hard to bring you the truth. You can visit them on therealnews.com. And this is the interview that Jared Ball did with uh, Sister Nakima Levy-Pounds earlier today. Welcome, everyone, back to The Real News Network. I'm Jared Ball here in Baltimore. The shooting this week of Jamar Clark by two police officers in Minneapolis continues to garner attention worldwide as an international concern over police brutality increases and as activists on the ground there have taken to streets in protest. Wednesday, the two officers were identified, Mark Riggenberg and Dustin Schwartz, and each maintains that Clark was shot because of his interference in their work in handling his alleged abuse of his girlfriend and that contrary to claims of family and activists, Clark was not in handcuffs at the time he was shot. To discuss these claims, the case, and the broader movement in Minnesota around police violence and black life is Nakima Levy-Pounds. Levy-Pounds is an, an award-winning professor of law, civil rights, is a civil rights attorney, and a nationally recognized expert on a range of civil rights and social justice issues at the intersections of race, public policy, economic justice, public education, juvenile justice, and the criminal justice system. And she has been working closely with Black Lives Matter there in Minneapolis. Welcome, Nakima Levy-Pounds, to The Real News. Thanks for having me, Jared. So if you would, just please update us on the latest. Again, as I mentioned in the intro, the two officers were named on Wednesday. And we're uh, looking to catch up on what folks there on the ground are doing and what is the, the protesters are calling for and what, again, is the latest uh, goings on there. So just to recap um, what happened in this case, uh, during the early morning hours um, of Sunday, July, uh, I'm sorry, Sunday, November 15th, um, Jamar Clark was um, trying to flag down um, a, an ambulance 
that his girlfriend was in because there had been some type of a dispute between the two and her ankle was hurt in the process. So he tried to flag down the uh, emergency vehicle to uh, be able to check on his girlfriend. The uh, EMT driver said no. Um, Jamar, you know, uh, yelled an expletive at the driver. And then the next thing you know, the police showed up on the scene. Now, according to witnesses, they grabbed Jamar, uh, one by each arm. The witnesses say that they placed him in handcuffs and that one officer grabbed Jamar's head in a chokehold and brought him to the ground. They said the other officer then put his knee in Jamar's chest while he was on the ground. Meanwhile, the other officer stood over Jamar's body and shot him once in the head at point blank range. Now, part of the concern was the fact that this incident happened sometime between 12 and 1 a.m. Um, there are dozens of witnesses um, to this particular incident because people um, were outside who lived in the apartment building or standing out on their balconies. And then there's a uh, place called the Elk Lodge that's right across the street from where this happened in Minneapolis that was just letting out at the time of the incident. And so after Jamar was shot in the head, um, the witnesses say that the police threw his lifeless body in the back of an ambulance and, um, and sent the body on its way. Meanwhile, dozens of police officers showed up on the scene. They uh, pointed guns at witnesses, pulled out pepper spray. Some people were um, allegedly sprayed with pepper spray and uh, witnesses were pushed and shoved. Um, the witnesses also said that officers waited roughly 45 minutes before they began even questioning anyone about what happened. The crime scene was cleaned up very quickly and um, people felt as though a cover-up was underway. Meanwhile, at around 4 a.m. or sometime thereafter, Minneapolis Police Department officials held a press conference where they talked about the incident. They did not um, say that he was shot in the head, from my understanding. And they also claimed that he was not in handcuffs. So there's a dispute about whether or not he was handcuffed. But from my perspective, it, it really doesn't matter whether this man was handcuffed or not. The reality is that he was unarmed and he was shot in the head by a Minneapolis police officer. It's hard to think of any scenario in which it would be okay to shoot an unarmed person in the head at point blank range. After um, Jamar's body was taken away, he was taken to a local hospital and placed on life support. Now, if witnesses' uh, contentions are accurate, they basically placed the corpse on life support. And we've seen other places around the country where the bodies of corpses have been handcuffed and taken away. Um, so it's, it's just uh, disturbing when you think about what is happening here in the city of Minneapolis um, in terms of the outcry from the community and feeling as though their concerns are falling on deaf ears. Um, and then the things that are going on nationally in terms of a string of shootings of unarmed African-Americans at the hands of law enforcement. So we just decided we're not going to tolerate this. So the Minneapolis NAACP put out a statement early Sunday morning um, raising concerns about the um, shooting death of Jamar and requesting a third-party independent investigation. Initially, the mayor's office 
uh, got the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension involved in the investigation. Now, that is a Minnesota law enforcement agency responsible in part for investigating claims of police abuse. We were not satisfied with the involvement of the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension because Minnesota law enforcement agencies have typically not held each other accountable for uh, police abuse, excessive, excessive force, or misconduct in officer-involved shootings. So we do not trust them. And we have asked for a federal investigation. After two days of protesting, um, the mayor uh, has requested a federal investigation, although they're continuing to have the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension involved. Um, and again, we're countering that, saying that the feds need to be solely involved in investigating um, the claims of murder on the part of the community um, of, of uh, Jamar Clark at the hands of the police. And we also want federal prosecutors to get involved in prosecuting the case if there are probable cause findings that emerge. Part of the reason why we want federal intervention um, in terms of the prosecution is because um, the case would typically be prosecuted in Hennepin County. And what they typically do is to send officer-involved shootings to a grand jury. Now, we already know what happened in Ferguson when uh, Darren Wilson's case was sent to a grand jury and all of the problems that emerged and the, um, the, the ensuing distrust of the legal system. We have similar issues here um, in terms of how our grand jury system has functioned and will function and the fact that they, they never indict officers in these situations. And it's not necessary under the law to um, involve a grand jury in these proceedings. If prosecutors want to prosecute based on probable cause, they can do so directly. So we're saying based on these patterns and practices of failing to hold officers accountable for police abuse and misconduct, we want a complete and thorough federal investigation and prosecution. Nakima Levy Pounds, thank you for joining us here at The Real News, and we look forward to following this case as you all continue to monitor the state's response uh, to, these, to, to what you and your other uh, activists are calling for, uh, and as they look to, to respond not only to you, but to the cases that emerges. But thank you again for joining us here at The Real News. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us here at The Real News. For all involved, again, I'm Jared Ball here in Baltimore saying, as always, as Fred Hampton used to say, to you we say peace if you're willing to fight for it. So peace, everybody, and we'll catch you in the world. There you have it. <clears throat> well, what did you think, Scotty? I'll let you uh, throw in your, your feelings and thoughts about it. Well, she um, shared some key pieces of information there, uh, most notably that prosecutors in that district or that county uh, do not have to convene a grand jury that they can just go ahead and prosecute based on probable cause. And and when you really right. think about it without going into the history or the importance of grand juries, because I do understand the uh, protections that it provides you from malicious prosecutions, but it ain't been protecting us from malicious prosecutions right. because when they catch you with, you know, a dime bag of weed or something or an ounce of weed or whatever, they are certainly not convening a grand jury to indict you. Right and then prosecute right. you. And so we have seen over and over again 
that uh, in cases of police-involved shootings, that grand juries have been used to rig the process. They get a whole bunch of people who have implicit bias, never been tested, never been screened for implicit bias. Uh, that's just a fancy and codified way of saying racism because we know when we say racist, uh, there's automatically going to be some objections to that and, and then they become the victims or uh, we're victimizing the races so i i in, in being codified you know i would say implicit bias in these people these grand juries and these juries are not screened for implicit bias whether it's bias against black people whether it's bias that uh, uh, they have that is a pro-cop view i believe everything the police have to say i don't believe them black people so no, uh, we're not indicting this cop. So that's what that's the key piece of information that I got from it is that the prosecutor, uh, based on probable cause, can go ahead with a prosecution and not try to rig the outcome by you know uh, uh, convening a grand jury, uh, which in too many cases, you know, in some cases they do indict the cops, but in too many cases they don't indict the cops. And I'll stop there. Hmm. Well, I mean, I agree. Definitely, that seems to be uh, put out there on the forefront as one of the, you know, one of the main issues that that universally it seems people can identify with. The process appears to need to go through the grand jury, um, and then the grand jury is a faceless, nameless, secret, uh, secretly convened group of individuals that we don't have anything tangible to be able to discern one way or the other if we're going to be able to even get any justice out of them. For all we know, it could literally be a grand jury made up of KKK members. I mean, we would not have any way of knowing because it's such a secret process of people that they are, you know, like in St. Louis or in the Ferguson, is able to uh, claim, you know, how they convene the grand jury for a time period. It's not just specifically for an incident. They'll already have a group of people that are members of a grand jury and cases are being brought before them for a certain period of time. So when these shootings happen and the cops just so happen to be brought before them, well, they already had these individuals picked out of society and already have been convened and was trained and they know what they'd be doing there and all of this. And we don't know anything about any. There's no daylight on any of that process. So right. Did they say sun, sunlight is the, is the best disinfectant. I think that these kind of situations need to be brought into the forefront so people can see. Uh, exactly what's going on because we're far beyond the point of being able to just trust blindly this so-called system that's supposed to be working for our good. I think we're at the point now where we need to be able to see every cog, every spoke in the wheel, every, uh, you know, uh, backside player in the game, everything that's going on to know exactly what's going on, you know, illuminate these operations. So uh, I think we're up for our first break. When we come back, uh, we've got a few more thoughts on the Minneapolis situation. Uh, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tonight we've got uh, myself, Johanna, and Elias Scotty Reed is behind the scenes and also uh, co-hosting with us in our prayers with Brother Max Scott, Brother Max Parthas, and his uh, wife, Tribal Land. We'll be right back. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com.
And we are back. Uh, this is New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, before the break, we were uh, discussing the, uh, the the murder, the extrajudicial murder of Brother Jamar Clark uh, out of Minneapolis. Uh, just the latest this year. I'm I'm quite certain uh, the police forces across America are well over 1,000 uh, for the year. Uh, another another banner year for killing innocent unarmed individuals and using uh, execution as the means of obtaining uh, or doling out uh, justice in a society that uh, is based upon uh, being tried before a jury of your peers, innocent until proven guilty. So even if these people were guilty of any kind of crime, uh, execution is only the uh, punishment for a handful of crimes. And uh, I'm pretty sure most of the people that have been murdered this year by the police were not guilty of anything that was that was warranted of an execution sentence. Uh, we are on a uh, open forum format tonight, so I would like to remind anyone that is listening to give us a call at one six four one seven one five three six six zero, and that will be extension five four nine zero three two pound. When you come in, you'll be prompted uh, to hit star six. And then the number one, and you'll be able to comment on air. Scotty, we'll see you in the queue. We'll be uh, happy to get your comments and your thoughts here on air with us tonight. But back to the story at Minneapolis. Um, in 2013, there was a Minneapolis Star Tribune article that was brought out as they had, uh, Minneapolis had uh, convened at that time. A, a, uh, uh, it, it was a year old in 2013. So I guess uh, 2012, they had convened a new police misconduct review board. and. Uh, Back in 2013, the article itself read of, two, of 439 cases involving Minneapolis police misconduct handled by a new office created last fall. Not one so far has resulted in discipline of any police officers. Wow. Police department officials. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what the review board that came out. So we, we, we left before the break talking about the grand jury. So now we're talking about the review board that's supposed to have oversight and is supposed to, to make decisions on what's going on. You got 439 cases in a very short time period, I mean, they said it was created the fall previous, so that's saying that's four hundred. That's more. That's more cases than every uh, days of the year. Right. That's like one point five people or something every day coming out with a complaint. That's ridiculous, and nobody's found guilty or found it to be in, have done anything wrong. Remember so the, the guy the, uh, who jumped on uh, the cop in New York who jumped on James Blake. He had been before the review board. And right, whatnot, right. And, and so I know right. a lot of people. They talk about these police civilian review boards right. as a solution That's to the joke. problem. Well, they've been around for quite some time. It's not like this is a new ideal or whatnot. And we see that that is not addressing uh, the issue. But but one more thing, going back to uh, that story, you know, again, you know, it seems like you know they weren't interested in getting any witnesses or anything like that they were interested oh, no. in just cleaning up the crime scene uh right. and, and whatnot so that can't be proper procedure in my mind it can't be i mean it might be their their standard patterns and practice but i'm talking about professional standards and protocols and things of that nature or whatnot and and, and so you know i'm just thinking about that 
Um, I'm hoping that people are not fearful and that if they witness this crime, that they will come forward. Uh, as we already see, there is some spin out there, you know, the police saying he wasn't handcuffed, but several victims say, I mean, several witnesses say the young man was handcuffed. And then even right. if he was handcuffed or not, you got three cops on one person. Why are you pulling out your gun and shooting a dude in the head? It reminds me of Oscar Grant's case. You know, I already got him on the ground and whatnot, and then you pull out a gun and shoot him in the back. That's what it sounds well, like Scotty, to me. You, you're talking about the spin on the story. They already got the police officers' union. Uh, head uh, Chief of the union already came out saying that <clears throat> he was reaching for the cop's gun. Yeah. See. So you know that's their favorite thing to throw out there. They'll scream that out after they just shot somebody. Don't reach for my gun. Like, but, I mean, it's just surreal, man, how this is it just keeps playing out. I mean, it's like the same story over and over again. This is uh, the the latest news uh as of today, the eighteenth. Uh, the head of the Minneapolis police union said Wednesday that Jamar Clark was, was disarming one of the officers and was not handcuffed at the time the gunfire from an officer's weapon fatally struck the twenty four year old man in the head. Union President Lieutenant Bob Crowell repeated his earlier contention that Clark was not wearing handcuffs, as some witnesses have alleged, during his confrontation early Sunday with officers on the street in North Minneapolis. Clark died the next day. As we heard from our sister during the interview, he was dead on the scene. How are you going to get shot in the head? And, and then the you throw his then, body, then to just snatch up his body. and I mean, that right. sounds like some Michael Brown stuff right there. Ain't that what they did with yeah. his body? Just threw it in the back of an SUV. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so they just snatch up his body and just throw it, throw his lifeless body in, in, in the back of this, this ambulance. So, you know, um, I, I, I don't know what it's going to take, man. I, 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 I do know what it might take, but I can't say on air, so I'll leave it alone. Hmm. Well, so that's the spin coming from the police union again. And this is, again, what uh, we've heard in recent months, uh, the AFL-CIO calling out, uh, you know, union membership overall for having affiliation with these police unions and saying, I mean, it's a conflict of interest. You can't have it both ways. You can't protect these people and uh, and know, you know, what they're about and what's happening. And then also, like we've talked about, even politically, the uh, police officers unions across the country are some of the most powerful lobbies that are out here. Mm. So you have people that are writing legislation. You have people that are that are regulating you know, very important aspects of our society, uh, really out of, uh, out of, in the sake of job security. Not, I mean, it has nothing to do with the public good. It has nothing to do with justice or with truth or with maintaining freedom or protecting us from terrorists. You know, we got this distraction going on with the situation that happened in Paris last Friday, and suddenly all of the spotlight is off of what has been going on in this country and building up to a, to a, you know, a, what should be anyway a crescendo so to speak i mean it should be at this point enough momentum behind all of these murders and all of this abuse that is clear and obvious on videotape with you know viral videos going all across social media i mean it's not hearsay you can see it with your own eyes and there is no sort of but of, you didn't see you didn't see what you saw your eyes no, was playing tricks no. on you man you're right you know, You're right. didn't you didn't you see that sixteen year old black uh a uh, uh, girl in Spring Valley how assault that police officer first? Didn't right. you see that? Right, right. Yeah, this is how they're getting down. I saw Tamir Rice in in one point eight seconds. I saw Tamir Rice 
pulled a toy gun out and pointed it right at a police car, charging at him at top speed when a cop jumped out the car, shot him in the chest for you. But he pulled that gun out. I saw John uh, John Crawford turn around and face the police with a with a, with a uh, mm-hmm. what looked like a real assault rifle. In in point seven two seconds, the pot cop running up behind him, shooting him in the back, around his in his chest and his face, everything else. I mean, yeah, I saw all the videos, but what I saw, I didn't see. Right, right. I saw Jamie Powell with his hands in his pockets, but I heard the, the police chief come out and say he had his hands up and above his head. Coming down in a downward motion with a knife of of at least six inches length, coming down with a knife at the officers, and I saw him on the video about thirty feet away from the officers with his hands, both of his hands in his pocket. See, you're not a good judge of distance, though, man. You can't tell. Right, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know. <laughs> so we know that the the union speaks up once again, and again, as I was saying with Minneapolis overall, I mean, <clears throat> Radley Balco. Uh, he's a, a bit of an abolitionist journalist. I mean, again, another one of these people that's doing the work of abolitionism and doing doing the work out there in the trenches and maybe not identifying himself with the cause directly. But he had written a story uh, for the Washington Post uh, during the, the, the height or the kind of the, the come down from the uh, Michael Brown situation last October. It was de- detailing city to city, the uh, amounts that the cities are paying out in these police abuse payouts. And uh, that's how we started talking about, or somewhere around that same time, was when we started talking about uh, uh, Baltimore with the $2.5 million cap they had on their payouts because they had so many payouts, the city just couldn't afford to do it. Uh, the Chicago Sun-Times had reported that, that, that Chicago had paid out nearly half a billion dollars in settlements over the last 10 years. Um, but Minneapolis is another one just like the rest of them. I mean, you know, L.A. at seven. Uh, $54 million in 2011. Uh, New York paid out $735 million in abuse settlements. Oakland, $74 million to settle 400 suits since 1990. Uh, so about $3 million a year. Denver said that uh, Denver paid out $13 million over 10 years. Dallas, we talked about Dallas, uh, where they had brother, I believe, uh, Craig Jenkins, a brother that was uh, the DA down there. getting P- He was another one on the Underground Railroad. Uh, working like Ken Thompson opened up the uh, the review board to get some of these people exonerated that had been wrongfully in prison. Well, down there in Dallas, six million a year. Minneapolis made the list too. Over twenty one million dollars paid out in police abuse settlements since two thousand and three. So Minneapolis has been on the radar. You know, it's just all these right. like we say every week. America is Ferguson. Ferguson. Yep. Patterns and practice. Yep. So. At this point, I'm like you, man. I don't know what it's going to take. I see a lot of us uh, jumped on board and put up the, the, you know, like, I mean, back to the the Charlie Hebdo uh, deal or whatever in France a while back. I mean, I saw a lot of black folks, especially oppressed peoples, uh, traditionally and generationally terrorized and marginalized individuals uh, and and groups, ethnic groups in this country that joined in solidarity you know, and and, and uh, the Juice We Charlie uh, whatever meme or the picture profile pic and all that, and I see the same thing again. Uh, a lot of folks putting up the, the French flag over the profile pic on social media and really showing solidarity with the, the victims. And I mean, I know you've commented at length and written some some great stories over this uh, what is going on in that situation specifically, but just relating it to this. I mean, once again. Uh, when are we going to stay focused on what we got going on with us? Right. When are we going to face that and fight for that cause? 
and stay on that regardless of what else is going on in the world. I mean, I'm not going to say I don't care, of course. I don't want to see anybody be Well, uh, we do. Like we we do, Johanny. We you know talk what, about man? it. We I talk see the about same, it. Like you say, patterns and practices. I see the right. same pattern and practice of terrorization that white supremacy has used uh, through this government system in every country on the planet, including here in America. So when I see well, what happened in France, I just see the same people doing the same thing they've been doing to us. Well, you know, in terms about us having a global perspective, we have talked about on this program specifically that slavery and human trafficking, legal slavery and human trafficking, we're not talking about individuals kidnapping girls off the street and forcing them to have sex with Johns and stuff like No, we're talking about legalized. You know, as codified by the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Um, but right. we always talk about, not always, but we do share stories from time to time where, when it's relevant to show you that this is a global thing. This is global. The GEO Group and the Correction Corporation don't operate only within the borders of USA Inc. They operate globally. We've talked about G, what is it, G4S, the British uh, uh, company. Uh, that yep. is the largest employer in Africa. Got Africans in, in enslaving, Africa. yeah. yeah, enslaving other Africans. That's how you get paid. Yeah, we give you a job to enslave your other uh, uh, family members and whatnot. So we talk about this. It's global. And then for those who don't really know, well, why are we talking about police brutality or police murder or police terrorism on New Abolitionist Radio? Don't we just focus on? Uh, uh, you know, prison slavery and, and human trafficking as it relates to the U.S. criminal justice system. Well, every slave that's on a new plantation was put there by who? And they kill people the in the process. I'm sorry, go ahead, Johanna. Oh, no, I just said you were saying it was put there. I just said by slave catchers. Right, right, the That's new slave catchers. Let's not forget the institution or the department that they came out of before they created the first police department in, in, in Boston in the 1600s. They, came, they recruited them directly out the slave patrols, and the, and the mission remains pretty much the same. Right. As I do... Uh uh, as often as I can remember, I will just tell you the statement that uh, Brother Robert Robertson gave to me some time ago. I mean, this is about as concise as it can get, and it, it speaks to the point. If anybody wonders why we discuss the police in any way, shape, or form on this program, we're talking about slavery. As he said himself, this all stems from the 13th Amendment, and the exception clause is found therein. The police are the primary enforcers of the 13th, of the exception in the 13th Amendment. That is their primary jobs. So it's that simple. The 13th Amendment has an exception in it, which allows for you to continue slavery if you can convict people of a crime. So you pick what people are you going to go to make slaves? Oh, well, the people we already had that were slaves. So let's keep going for them. Ain't nobody coming to save them. They don't know how to save themselves. It's been working for the last 500 years. Let's keep on doing it. So we're going to use these guys to be our primary enforcers of that exception. It's in that amendment. The people that the 13th Amendment was intended for were African people in America. That's why it's called a reconstructive amendment. It's meant to repair or to reconstruct the lives damaged by the inhumanity of slavery. The exception was placed into the 13th Amendment for the intention to specifically re-enslave those freed Africans. It was intended specifically for African people, and it has impacted mainly African people. 
Africans in America have been criminalized ever since their enslavement to justify the inhumanity of slavery and criminalized after their emancipation to re-enslave them through the Black Code's legislation. It is legislation that is where our persecution is coming from, from the appropriate legislation of Section 2 of the 13th Amendment. It is from legislation that communities become ghettos. It is every African-American community across America, every city in America, which is represented by Africans, is being, is being and has been slated for political deprivation, economic disadvantage, social, national disparagement, and white supremacist institutional discrimination. Our solution for all of this is the same as it ever has been, abolition. The 13th Amendment to the Constitution declares that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for a crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States of America or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So we declare that mass incarceration and subsequent prison labor for slave wages is not the new Jim Crow. It's just the same old slavery. Well stated. So, well stated. There you yeah. have it. Yep. And, you know, it's just, um, but I think, though, I am starting to think, I'm starting to see, and, of course, I'm not connected to millions of people through social media and whatnot, but I am starting to see less resistance to the concept that slavery was never abolished as I try to engage people across social media, because, I mean, long as you can comprehend English and you can read, you know, then, you know, reading isn't the same as comprehending what you read. But if you can <laughs> read and you can comprehend, then certainly you can't read the 13th Amendment and not walk away from that and know that slavery was never abolished. Right. All right. This is the this is the score, man. Right now. I mean, it's um, it's bad guys, you know, one million, and the abolitionists, the good folks, you know, we still in the, maybe in the single or double digits. I mean, it's just a blowout. They constantly coming with blow after blow, shot after shot, measure after measure, legislation, new weapons, new tricks, new plans, new whatever. Plus, the old ones, they never stop working. So all we can do is continue to push towards, uh, as Max identifies it all the time, towards critical mass. Get to the point where it's enough people that know that's not going to shut up about it, get to the point where it's enough people to care, that's not going to be distracted and get off on their own uh, tangent and their own personal, you know, whatever it is they're trying to do or whatever it is they want to want to be affiliated with or be however they want to be identified other than, you know, that that uh, that category of the oppressed. Um, we just got to keep pushing, man. So, so Max is not here with us tonight. Definitely, obviously here in spirit. Um, but he's, you know, his words are on my mind. I mean, normally I would, I would depend on him to bring me out of that, uh, kind of a baseline, uh, negative outlook. Like, you know, we got to just go to war. Like it's not going to change. I could just hear him saying, you know what, we got to keep doing it because it's somebody that didn't know, just like we didn't know that's learning today. It's somebody that's getting it right now. And it's somebody, the next mind that we turn around. Could very could very well be the one that turns the whole situation around with their idea or with their work or with their faith. So you know we got to keep hope alive, man. Peace to the ambitions. Right. right. And um, let's go ahead and jump into some of these stories. But again, if you yeah. would like to make a comment or have a question, give us a call at six four one seven one five thirty six sixty. That's six four one seven one five thirty six sixty. 
The participant code is 549-032-POUND. That's 549-032-POUND. Uh, greetings to those already dialed in on the conference line. Anytime you would like to speak, hit star six and one, and I will bring you on. Uh, but this next story, I'll go ahead and introduce it if it's okay, Johanna. Yeah, go ahead. Um, this is a story that I picked for tonight. Um, I actually talked about it with Sister Amija Whitlock on Political Prisoner Radio because it concerns political prisoner Mumia Abu-Jamal and um, he filed a lawsuit through the Abolitionist Law Center. Uh, shout out to Brent Grote. Uh, been a while since I talked to him or interview, had a chance to interview him, but he's representing uh, Mumia over this. The name of, in this case, the name of the case is Abu-Jamal versus I can't pronounce that. You won't give us give it a stab, man. Carestes or something like that. Yeah, I believe so. Carestes or Carestes. Yeah. Um. This is what the case is about. This is a, a press report that came out uh, in August, but oral arguments were actually heard this morning at eight thirty. And I, before the program, looking for an update. Um. You know, search the web, search the news section. I didn't see anything about this case. And this is a very uh, important case that could have wide-reaching effects on uh, the people who are on these plantations, who are being mistreated, whose human rights are being violated in every way imaginable. But I'll just share uh, this with you. Um, let me see. It says that untreated diabetes nearly killed Abu Jamal in March in the Department of Corrections, they're talking about Pennsylvania, is refusing to treat his active hepatitis C. Attorneys for political prisoner Momia Abu-Jamal filed an amended lawsuit in the Middle District of Pennsylvania Federal Court to challenge prison medical staff's denial of necessary medical treatment, denial that nearly killed Abu-Jamal earlier this year. Uh, on March 30, 2015, Abu-Jamal, <clears throat> excuse me, was rushed to the hospital after losing consciousness and going into diabetic shock. Although prison medical staff were aware that Abu Jamal had a dangerously high blood glucose level of 419 on March the 6th, they failed to treat, monitor, or even inform Abu Jamal of his condition. Glucose levels like those that Abu Jamal had can result in diabetic shock, diabetic coma, and death. Abu Jamal's diabetic shock came in the midst of an escalating year-long health crisis that began with a rash in August 2014. The skin condition grew in intensity over the course of the next several months, eventually covering most of his body with a painful, severe rash that is resistant to conventional treatments. The skin condition is abnormal in its duration and intensity and has led to uh, uh, lesions, open wounds, and swelling. The lawsuit filed seeks injunctive relief from prison medical staff's failure to treat Abu Jamal's active hepatitis C. Recent blood tests provided at the insistence of Abu Jamal, his lawyers, and consulting doctors have confirmed that Abu Jamal has active hepatitis C, which is likely the underlying cause of his health crisis. Despite the undeniable medical evidence that he is in need of treatment for his hepatitis C, Prison medical staff are refusing to provide any. 
advances in hepatitis C treatment in recent years have revolutionized the way the disease is treated with new direct acting antiviral medications that have had over 95% success rate in curing the illness in clinical trials. The medications, however, are extraordinarily expensive in the United States due to monopoly pricing practices by capitalists in the, I, I said capitalists, okay, but by the pharmaceutical companies that have patented them. Uh, the issue, let me see. The Pennsylvania Department of Corrections has yet to promulgate a new protocol for treating hepatitis C with the new medications, meaning that the estimated 10,000 plus people in Pennsylvania Department of Correction custody who have hepatitis C are not receiving any treatment. This issue is the subject of a class action lawsuit filed in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania Federal Court in June 2015. Al-Abu-Jamal is represented by Brett Grote of the Abolitionist Law Center and Robert J. Boyle of New York uh, City. And as I stated, as I stated, um, um, this will have wide uh, ranging. At, uh, I would imagine, Johanan, and uh, certainly uh, interested in your analysis, um, um, but um, I don't know if he wins this. It probably, without a doubt, would affect all the prisoners in Pennsylvania, uh, but this is a state correctional facility. It's not a federal uh, facility, so I, I, I have questions, and hopefully in, in the future we can get um, Brent Grote on to discuss, you know, will this apply to prisoners within the United States? And I would surmise, I would, su I would say to you that he shouldn't even have to file a lawsuit that, that you know, this is just more evidence that these people are looked upon as slaves, but what's different? What's different today than it was slavery pre-1865? Well, in slavery pre-1865, they didn't want their slaves dying. They didn't want the, their victims, you know, dying and not being able to pick cotton or, or work in the mines or build railroads or whatever it is work that they were doing in building America's infrastructure. So, you know, they tried to halfway treat them you know, uh, in terms of uh, medical illnesses, because, you know, it was a lot of money invested in them. Well, today, in today's society, uh, the way they practice in slavery, post-1865, just housing bodies is, is a way for them to make money. Do they put them to work and exploit their labors? Yes, they do. Yes, they do, without a doubt. But also, even just housing your body is worth a whole lot of money. And if you happen to die along the way, then guess what? They got another one to take your place. Your thoughts, Johanna? I mean, of course, agreeing with what you just said, I just think um, for the state itself, uh, Pennsylvania, and of course, this will have repercussions just throughout the prison system. Overall, I mean, every everything starts from a precedent being set. Uh, so, I mean, of course, we support and, and hope for the best in the case and, and hope that this can be, you know, yet another uh, uh, dot, you know, of light on the horizon that, that we can uh, hope to see ourselves moving towards and see it expanding as we get closer to the abolishment of this system of uh, modern day slavery overall. But as it relates to, to Pennsylvania itself, I mean, this is one of the most uh, tragic uh, locations in in a country that is that is a, an admitted prison plantation. I mean, this is this is like it's almost like uh, 
some of these states are just so foul with what they are willing to do. And we know about, we've reported on Pennsylvania with the prison that's, that's 100 yards away from the toxic waste dump and hundreds of prisoners dying from all kinds of crazy cancers and constantly sick because the toxic waste is right there. I mean, it's like it's not even a question. It's not even a, a, a doubt. So you got, you know, thousands of people held in captivity in rat cages and you've got them sitting right next to toxic waste. I mean, like, you, you, I don't know how you could torture anybody in any more of an elaborate and, and sick way. So this is Pennsylvania. This is what they do. I mean, this is where, you know, the move families was, was bombed, you know, straight up by the police. It's where Frank Rizzo was notoriously, you know, the, the, the man, you know, ran the city or whatever. So, I mean, you could just go back on and on about Philadelphia, about Pennsylvania itself. I mean, about what they've done to Mamiya, what they've done to all of the political prisoners and the families. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So I'm looking forward to this case. Uh, I know Brett wrote as a Facebook friend. So, I mean, I've, and I know you've interviewed him. So, I mean, he's, he's been vetted by the abolitionists. I mean, you know, he's doing what he says he's doing. And, and I know he's got his, got his, uh, his, his right, he's in his right mind to, as, as the man for the job. I just hope that we could see some kind of uh, some kind of daylight, man. Because you know what they what they're doing to people, what they're able to get away with with what they're doing to people is is shocking and sad. And again, you know, relating it to the tragedy in in France, you see how people rise up and are so concerned when it's like a flash in the pan, something happened new, you know, for them to be excited about or whatever, and say, oh, we ought to do better. Oh, we got to care. We got to rally behind this. We need to help support. Well, you know, there's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people that we got to do better by that's right here with us. That we trying to act like we don't see them because they're behind, a, 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 you know, 20 foot tall walls with, with razor wires surrounding them. But it is time for our break. Uh, it's uh, right at the hour. So you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, we're going to take station identification and we will be right back. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. And we're back. You are listening to New Abolitionist Radio here on the Black Talk Radio Network. This is Johanna Nalaya. I'm your host tonight with co-host, uh, the founder of the Black Talk Media Project, Black Talk Radio Network, Scotty Reed, the man that's running the show, the producer. And uh, as again, our thoughts and our prayers uh, are, are with our, our brother in the, in the trenches. Brother Max Farthus and uh, his wife, Travel Rain, and she has uh, had some some ill health here recently, and we are definitely praying for this sister because I mean she holds it down. We just love her for her. We also know what she means to our brother, so so we got to raise her up. We got to stay in prayer for her. Send your your love and your light out. Um, 
tonight we have been discussing, uh, uh, you know, the usual suspects, the police, the, the prisons, you know, the, the, the whole system just corrupt. Uh, we invite you to call in, though. We are uh, having a, an open forum tonight. So definitely, if you have a commentary or you have other news that we haven't covered as yet, information, uh, questions or concerns uh, con uh, that are, are related to 21st century slavery and human trafficking, by all means, call into the program. The number is 641-715-3660. Uh, the extension is 549-032-POUND. Uh, once you are on the line, you will be prompted to uh, hit star six. And the number one, you will be able to comment on air. Scotty Reed will see you in the caller's queue, and we would love to have you comment or just be a part of the program. Uh, and, and we'll just welcome you in. And, and if you need to learn, we'd be happy to try to teach. If you came to teach, we are definitely listening because we do not know everything. We know the little bit we've studied, but that's still every week on this program, we're learning something new. So. Uh, Scotty, before the break, we were talking about the uh, the, the case, uh, Brother Mamiya and uh, Brett Grote is uh, brought against uh, the state basically for their uh, miscarriage of, of health care and denying health care. This was also a similar case with uh, 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 Brother Elder uh, Jamil Alamine, uh, also known as, uh, formerly known as H. Rap Brown. He, his, he hasn't had a case, but he's been on death's door a few times as well due to the same type of thing, right? Um, yes, um, he was held, right now he has been moved back to the East Coast, he is closer to his family, and um, um, check out Political Prisoner Radio uh, Archives, where I gave, give you some details on his case, and how they set him up, mm -hmm. and how he doesn't even match the description of the person that the police gave that killed uh, those two deputies, uh, whatnot, uh, uh, um, Brother H. Rap Brown also, um, but who, who his name is, uh, Jamil Alamin right now, uh, but most people know him by H. Rap Brown from his days with the Black Panther Party and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating uh, Committee. Um, but yeah, he's six foot five, and the person that they said killed these cops is five foot seven, five foot seven or something like that. And and so I mean, like, man, come on, man. <laughs> so anyway, um, he was in in the supermax out there in Colorado, and he had wow. an abscess tooth, and he they denied him any kind of dental treatment, medical treatment for his abscess tooth. It just got kept getting larger and larger and larger. And, you know, his jaw swollen up from all that pus building up. Man, I couldn't imagine being forced. I mean, he went untreated for seven months, seven months. And it took a whole lot of good folks out there uh, calling and writing and faxing and, and telling and demanding treatment for him. And then once he finally did get treatment, well, they ran blood tests and found out, oh, he got this rare form of cancer. So now it's a battle to get that treated. Yeah. So here you go. And again, we talked about Horizon is the primary health care provider in these jails and prisons, uh, especially the private prisons. Uh, we've talked about all of these uh, vendors who on the backside of the, of the actual prisons are generating billions of dollars in revenue through no bid, oftentimes no bid contracts, um, 
uh, like we talked about with uh, Christopher F. down there in Mississippi and Cecil McCrory, the school board president and former legislator in the state of Mississippi, offering up no-bid contracts to vendors, personal friends. You know, we're talking about contracts in the tens and sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars with no bidding, no no legality to them whatsoever, but they're going into these contracts and they take taking kickbacks just to hook these people up because these are contracts that are not going to be challenged. They're not going to be the budget is just the budget. You know, you can say anything costs whatever it costs, and you're going to get all of the money all of the time. It's not anything where there's any oversight. There's not much public criticism. It's not like other areas in the budget for the states or the federal uh, federal budget where people actually will look at it a little bit and criticize, scrutinize. What goes to the prisons just goes to the prisons because just like with this terrorist mess, they can always just throw crime up in your face and, and use the fear factor to get people to write a blank check to keep them darkies in the prisons, to keep them unwanted people in the prisons, keep those immigrants locked away, keep those non-white people, or even if it's white, keep those poor people locked away forever. Keep them vets. We'll just, we'll keep them vets. Hey, don't forget the vets, man, because we can't have no. people who've been skilled in warfare to decide one day that, hey, slavery was never abolished, so we need to fight a civil war then to end slavery for real this time. So let's, let, you know, yeah, they got to keep them million soldiers locked up. Well, you want to move on to uh, to another story? Sure. Okay. One I wanted to get into was this story about attorney-client privilege that uh, that came out. This is ridiculous, man. I mean, every week we just have these jaw-dropping stories, and, and it just flies in the face of all of these passive individuals who are, you know, really you're just as guilty as, as anybody that's actively uh, participating in or actively uh, uh, orchestrating oppression and enslavement and terrorization of, of people anywhere on the planet, you know, if you're just passively sitting by and letting it happen. It's, you're just as bad. So what's happening now, um, it says, uh, this was from last week, but it says an uh, important story that came out that confirmed that a, a, a website called SecureDrop, which is an open source whistleblower leak system, um, is maintained by Freedom of the Press Foundation, it actually works, it says, because news organizations may choose not to publicly disclose the identity of their sources or reporting methods for any number of reasons, but The Intercept published a major news story that indicates publicly underlying information came from their secure drop. It's talking about this, uh, what the ACLU is calling the most massive breach of attorney-client privilege in U.S. modern history. So I set it up with that little part, about secure dropping just to remind people like we say all the time on this program if you have information you can leave that with us securely none of us has any kind of a, a, a buy-in or a buyout from anything having to do with this system if you know something if you got some information you can be assured that you can leave it safely with me scotty reed max parthas we can vouch for each other, and I definitely can vouch for myself. I'm not about to tell on you. If you give me the information, I'll happily give it out, and you can remain anonymous because this system has to end, and it's going to take efforts of people being able to uh, believe and trust in one another to help us dismantle this system. What they found through this secure drop says an uh, enormous cache of phone records obtained by the Intercept reveals a major breach of security and securest technologies. 
a leading provider of phone services inside the nation's prisons and jails. Now, we've talked about securist technologies many times on this program, on the Abolitionist Daily, uh, where we've discussed these are parts of the for-profit prison model. This is part of the, the profit side of the prison system. These people charge ridiculous rates for you to be able to make phone calls out from the, you know, inside the prison or contact your loved ones in prison. And they even have developed this video phone system now where you can't even make a phone call and, or you can't even actually do an actual visitation and see the person. You have to pay to look at them on a video screen. This is all a part of their technology and what they're doing. And what Skype is free. Is that, and Skype is free. I just remind people that Skype is free. Right, right. But you got to charge, right, to see a video of, right, it's ridiculous. The materials leak uh, via secure drop by an anonymous hacker who believes that Securus is violating the constitutional rights of inmates comprises over 70 million records of phone calls placed by prisoners to at least 37 states, in addition to links to downloadable recordings of the calls. The calls span a nearly two and a half year period beginning in December 2011 and ending in the spring of 2014. Particularly notable within the vast trove of phone records are what appear to be at, excuse me, at least 14,000 recorded conversations between inmates and attorneys. That is highly illegal. Just in the straight up illegal. And it's, it's at least 14,000. So out of 70 million records, you know damn well it's more than 14,000. And how, uh, how big is the scope of this conspiracy to violate exactly. the rights of these prisoners? Because exactly. I'm sure the prisons, I mean, you know, they weren't just recording them for the sake of recording them. They were sharing that with somebody. Well, who would benefit exactly. from hearing that? The prosecution, perhaps? Yes. Yes. I can't even... I mean, this is my this is my moment this week, man. You know, every week I just have a moment where I just can't even believe what what I'm reading. I can't even believe what I'm reporting. Every week this program affords me that. That it's something that happens. Yeah, it's all bad and it's all crazy and it's, it's all needs to stop. But it's always one story that I just cannot even believe this. That these people don't try to hide their hand. Don't try to to. Don't try to obey any of the laws that they sit up here calling themselves enforcing. They don't. They don't obey the law in no regard. So anyway, the calls should never have been recorded in the first place. Obviously, these are highly confidential, privileged legal communications. The recordings of legally protected attorney-client communications and the storage of those recordings potentially offends constitutional protections, including the right to effective assistance of counsel and of access to the courts. This may be the most massive breach of attorney-client privilege in modern U.S. history, and that's certainly something to be concerned about, says David Fathy, director of the ACLU's National Prison Project. A lot of prisoners' rights are limited because of their conviction and incarceration, but their protection by the attorney-client privilege is not. So here you go again. That's just Your crazy, man. That, no. that, well, given the the very egregious, and I can't state enough in agreement with you that this is just mind-blowing just in terms of, you know, we had all these people talking about this is the greatest and most freest country on the face of the planet, and all we got all these troops 
overseas fighting for our liberty and freedom so we can be free right here and that constitution is the most sacred document in the world and and they treat it like toilet paper man and how is this not now again i granted full disclosure i don't spend a lot of time watching corporate news uh tv shows on on you know the cable or whatnot i, I don't do that i don't spend my time watching you know don lemon talking about whatever he talking about i don't spend it watching joy reed talking about whatever she talking about uh you know so but i bet you that this was not any kind of headline news and won't be any kind of headline news no. that they will make a featured story because they're so concerned this is just a travesty this is a slap in the face of every american revolutionary soldier that's buried on hollow ground and and how could we betray <laughs> you know our founding principles and, and man nope you won't hear that you won't hear him saying that. You won't hear him raising the raising the the, the call to arms and and going off and tripping out and flipping out and dedicating uh, ten twelve hours out of the morning all into the afternoon with the news ticker going underneath with updates on the story and you know all of the usual mess they do mm. with anything they deem to be newsworthy. As soon as they think they got a story, first thing they do is fill up the entire day. On every cable news network. On every show. People talking about it. Yeah, every show. Every news show is supposed to be a, a different individual's take on the news. It's supposed to be a different, you know, something going on. But they all just dedicate their whole day to that one story. And then, like I said, they got the ticker going underneath with on-the-spot breaking news of the moment. Oh, we found a new uh, uh, case. We found a new, you know, it's not 14,000 uh, that were uh, attorney client is actually the numbers now up to 170,000. You know, they don't, you won't ever see nothing like that. This will be under the rug, like the rest of the news that has to do with us for real and our oppression. It'll be under the rug. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, again, this is why we do what we do on this program on a weekly basis right. and, and every day of why we're doing research and we're sharing stories and providing analysis and commentary through uh, our group Move to Abolish 21st Century Slavery and Human Trafficking on Facebook and providing you these links to these stories that we find and other people share with us on New Abolitionist Radio, which uh Facebook page. And um, it is, you know, um, saying what we said about corporate media, it should be no surprise I guess the American people aren't as dumb as what we think they are, you know, a lot of them. And that's why they are turning more and more to social media to get news. Because they know, they, they didn't figure out that, you know, this is just sensationalism, what they do on, on TV and whatnot. You know, uh, well, we got one video of this big burly cop slamming this black girl. But now we got a different angle, you know what I'm saying? So, man, so... Just support the independent media producers is what I'm asking. Right. And that, I mean, that still, that ties into um, the fundraiser itself. And, I, you know, I don't want to take too much time out of the reporting of the news, but people, if you're hearing this program, it's because listeners, this is listener-supported radio. I mean, there's no way around it. There's nobody that, that's collecting a salary off of this or, or there's no... Uh, 
benefactors that we that have been announced anyway that are that are paying all the bills to to keep this going. It's a collective effort of many it, individuals. It, yeah, who and care, we should, Johan, be able to pay. From. We should be able to pay salaries What's to that? the people that put in work, though. You, yeah, you're right. Nobody's being paid a salary, but we're putting in real work. And I hope one day that we can right, have that right. budget. Maybe Cam Newton, you know, I, I, I'm a fan of Cam Newton, and, and he seems to have some, some community consciousness. I know he cares about the community, and he just signed that big contract, $100 million contract for the next <laughs> five years. Maybe he'll drop right. one of them one millions on, on, on the Black Talk Media Project, and then we can start paying folks and get a staff. Right. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Yeah. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? I'll, I'll make sure to I'll make sure to say a couple extra prayers for him. Make sure he get on get on in through them pearly gates for his Christian kindness. But at any rate, in the meantime, till he comes around to that revelation, uh, definitely, people, listeners, you can go to Black Talk uh, Media Project. Uh, is BlackTalkMedia.org. Well, I changed it. I, I changed it up. That website, um, yeah, it's still there. It's BlackTalkMediaProject.org. But uh, that website needs to be mm -hmm. revamped because I created another website, uh, the knowledge base uh, dot blacktalkradio.com. Um, but there's a link okay. in the menu on blacktalkradionetwork.com that says, um, uh, what, 2015 fundraiser. And it goes directly uh, to the secure page for our PayPal account where you can make a one-time donation or uh, um, donate on a monthly basis. You choose the amount and the uh, number of times you want to give. Right on. So there you have it, people. Also, uh, we want to give out the uh, the number again, uh, 641-715-3660, extension 549-032-POUND. Uh, you hit star six and uh, be prompted to press the number one when you're ready to comment on air, but definitely open forum, open phone lines, uh, questions, commentary, any uh, news that we haven't reported here, uh, definitely welcome any information uh, obviously pertaining to 21st century uh, slavery and human trafficking is of course welcome and uh, encouraged, invited. Please be a part of what we're discussing. Um, I guess before we go to our, our break at the bottom half of the hour, we probably have time to break out another one of these, uh, another one of these sure. stories. What do you think about this? Oh, go ahead. I was saying, yes, we got, we have time. Oh, okay. Yeah, what do you think about this story about the Black Student Union uh, calling for divestment at, at Cornell? Hey, that made. What is your take on it? Hey, I wanted to start dabbing. I learned a new word. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not familiar with that one. Well, I'm only familiar with it because you had all of these racist suspects uh, talk junk and write news editorials because Cam Newton was dabbing on them Tennessee Titans and whatnot. You know, it's a little dance that's, uh, you know, called dabbing. So when I read this story oh, about these uh, abolitionist students and whatnot, I started dabbing. I was like, that's the next generation of abolitionists coming up <laughs> behind us, putting in work already. I see y'all. Right, right. <laughs> well, it's uh I'll go ahead and read the story as I had it uh, from the Cornell Sun. This is from uh November tenth. There's twelve students from the Black Students United, a student run umbrella organization representing the interests of black Cornelians, entered President Elizabeth Garrett's office Tuesday to submit a letter 
outlining demands for the university to divest its endowment from interest based in prisons and mass incarceration. The letter launches the group's public campaign to fight Cornell's involvement with organizations related to the quote-unquote violence of the prison industry and mass incarceration, according to Black Students United. Black students at Cornell and those on other campuses across the world have a history of holding their universities accountable, said Amber Aspinall, 17, political action chair of BSU, getting started young. We will continue that tradition. In their letter, BSU outlined four major demands of the university. They insist that the university cease investments in companies that include Corrections Corporation of America, GEO Group Incorporated, and G4S USA. Secure solution. No longer, no longer use the GS, G4S security system in the Herbert F. Johnson Museum of Art. Issue an official university statement on Cornell's involvement with the private prison industry and grant organizers a meeting with the university's investment committee. We very cordially invite President Garrett, as well as the rest of the administration and any interested trustees, to help build this very important dialogue on campus regarding the private prison industry and the prison industrial complex, says Robert Johnson, also 17, a BSU political action member. Highlighting Cornell's prior involvement with apartheid South Africa and Jansport, the, later sta the letter stated concerns that Cornell's decision to invest in organizations related to prisons and mass incarceration creates discomfort for students. What we want to know and what many students, faculty, and community members want to know is where our policymakers stand on this issue and what common ground we can find to ensure that Cornell's relationship with the criminal justice system is one that truly reflects the values and spirit of this university, Johnson said. The BSU movement at Cornell was inspired by a similar movement at Columbia University, where student activists successfully campaigned for the university to become the first college in the United States to divest from private prison companies, according to the letter. We hope you join with us in extending our sincerest congratulations to the student activists at Columbia for their dedication, passion, and skilled organizing, the letter reads. While Garrett was not on campus at the time of the letter drop, BSU activists cite her inauguration address as a positive indication that she will be open to working towards progress, according to the letter. Among your most salient words, however, was your call on Cornell to be radical and progressive, the letter says. We are prepared to answer that call. We hope that you are as well. BSU is requesting a response from the university by November 23rd and hopes that a response will increase the transparency on the issue of private prison investments, according to Abraham Araya, 19, a BSU political action member. Private prisons turn black lives into commodities, Delmar Fears, 19, a freshman representative, says. I don't want to attend a university that says they support and welcome black students while reaping profits from a corrupt system that disproportionately disenfranchises the black community. They can't say and do both. Something has to change. Right on, brother. Right on, right on, right on man. Again, who said all our young people are out there wilding out and walking around with their right. pants hanging down and and you know what I'm saying? And and so these are we got young people like this all across the country, man, and it is just right. very it just gives me hope for my grandchildren. You know what I'm saying? My my grandson, my oldest grandson is like just 4 years old, man. And, and so they obviously, you know, are, are in adulthood. And so maybe we hope it don't take that long, but maybe, 
you know, and by the time he, you know, becomes college age, that slavery will have been abolished, you know, because of the great work of these young people out there fighting today. Well, I definitely thank them for what they're trying to do. And I know that uh, Columbia is a, a source of, of uh, inspiration for these students because of what happened at Columbia. And we were, of course, on New Abolitionist Radio, able to, uh, to, to speak with representatives uh, from that movement and as it expanded and, and continued to pick up momentum and was ultimately successful in drawing that, uh, that school to, to the decision that it made um, at the same time, on the flip side, I mean, as an abolitionist, I'm also a black nationalist. Uh, I believe that we should be looking to uh, support our own efforts to educate ourselves, and we wouldn't have to ask. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's not to 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 put race in everything, but race is in pretty much everything. And at the end of the day, we as black folks continuing to go into white institutions with the belief that this is the best education you can get and uh, this is the way, this is the key to success and and deeper integration into the system of racism, white supremacy. Um, it's, it's good to see that they have the fight in them and they want to create change and, you know, wherever change can be created and wherever this system can be uh, effectively dismantled, then sure, we'll take those victories. But I'm not under any uh, illusion that they're they're really being honest with themselves to want to support the school and think that that school is really going to somehow not be what it has been and not not honor its roots and its foundations. Well, it maybe nobody's challenged it before. Maybe um, nobody's challenged just, them before. Maybe, you know, it, it's time yeah. for us to start fighting wherever we are. You know, this is my yeah. take on that. Let's take the University of Missouri. We know, okay, right. we know that it was built with the free labor of enslaved Africans. All right. Yes, sir. So well, it wasn't free because it cost them blood, sweat, and tears. All right. Uh, but we know that the University of Missouri was built with enslaved African labor. We know their number one generator is what athletics. Who are the majority of the athletes that's bringing in the big money through the basketball program, through the football program? They're black athletes, all right. And the University of Missouri uh, system, uh, college system, is funded by what tax dollars, right? Do black people pay taxes in Missouri? I certainly think so. And so, you know what I'm saying? These are our institutions, regardless of what the student population looks like that is our school and maybe that's how these students are starting to see it and that we can't uh, and, and i know there's this thing about safe place certainly black talk radio network is a safe place for independent black media producers who don't want to have to worry about you know somebody shutting you down because you know you're talking about uh racism or whatever it is you want to talk about now we do have our limitations we ain't gonna let you clown too much and whatnot we ain't gonna we try we try to stay cool free as they say but this is a safe <laughs> this is a safe this is a safe virtual place for independent black media producers as well as anybody who wants to call in and express their viewpoint without being you know hung up on censored or anything like that but on the flip side of that, 
We can leave no safe places for white supremacists. We can't leave no safe places for racists. If these students was not at Columbia and putting the screws to them and saying, you will divest from private prison slavery, then guess what? Columbia would still be investing in private prison slavery. You see where I'm going with that? Oh, yeah, I understand the counterpoint by all means. And I mean, I don't I don't disagree. I just feel like there's room for all of that conversation. You know, like what you're talking about as well is not completely abandoning right. or discounting the value that we have in ourselves and educating ourselves where we don't have to be in this situation of always demanding, you know, Black Lives Matter somehow. Like, I mean, you how how many times are you going to be able to tell the same offenders that they need to start caring about you. I mean, how long are you going to stay in the mix with them to, that they can even continue to do what they do to you because you're in such close proximity? But I understand what you're saying as well. I mean, it's like you almost have to infiltrate to shine the light on what they're doing and work towards making them stop as well. I just hope they're not under some disillusion right. that by doing what they're doing that somehow they're going to be more, I guess you would say, correctly integrated into the system, more more allowed some kind of way to to be a part you yeah know, i see what you I, I, I see what I, you're I saying that, you that psychology of, of integration and, and whatnot i mean you can mm -hmm. be a part of the society and still remain an individual shouldn't be nothing wrong right. with that nobody i don't got a problem with japanese americans you know whatever holidays they celebrate whatever customs they still practice i ain't got a problem with it i ain't got a problem with irish people getting drunk on saint patrick's day and throwing up all over the street at the saint patrick's day parade in boston i ain't got a problem with that man and and and, and so nobody should take a problem with us uh maintaining our cultural individuality uh, but I hope that they have the mindset of soldiers that I'm here. Okay, I, I'm I'm in here. I'm behind these enemy lines, and I'm trying to cause as many problems as I can uh, in this war until we cause the entire system to collapse. That's how I hope they're looking at it. I do too. Hopefully, they heard a word because it's something about a uh, new abolitionist radio that gets uh, the word gets out, and uh, folks hear us. You know, we know we know about one reaction or the other that they heard us. They either come in and they talk to us about what they heard and they want to discuss it or they ignore us and they try to play us Let, like, you know, boo boo or something like they ain't heard us. But we know damn well they did. So, one, one quick point before I forget it, because I was thinking about this when you were reading the story. Hey, mm -hmm. if we was all behind that, that uh, justice is not for sale at 2015 and get these private prisons abolished, all this would be a mute point. Right. They wouldn't even have to worry about it. Right. Hell, if the man that wrote the legislation was behind it. <laughs> oh, damn. I'm, I'm waiting to hear. No, you didn't. No, he didn't. Call him out. Call him out. Put the pressure in the screws to him, too. I to say too. something else about it, man. It's like he, it's like he presented that. The, you know, in the in the 2012 election or something, that's old news now. I mean, that thing still got the new car smell on it, and he already tired of driving it. Mm -mm -mm. Bring it back out. It, it, we ain't even seen it yet. Bring yeah. it out and let us see it. Let us let us get a good look at it. Let us evaluate it. Push that. He can definitely call out every other candidate in every other party, whoever called himself running for president. He's in a position where Challenged he can call them. all of them out on it. 
Yeah, he could challenge them when they had these debates about criminal justice or whatever, or not even debates, just the debates right. and any other media appearances that I'm making. You know, I'm be like, you know, Hillary Clinton says that she will end private prisons, but like she told Black Lives Matter, where's her plan? Right. Does she endorse my legislation to, you know, abolish private prisons and jails in, in this country? That's evil. That's immoral. Who will join with me? Is Donald Trump for right. freedom? Is Ted Cruz for freedom? Is Ben Carson for freedom? Is Hillary Clinton for freedom? Is Martin O'Malley for freedom? Because if they're for freedom, they should be fully behind this legislation. I ask them to join me in calling on Congress to pass this legislation without delay and for the president to sign it into law. That's what I'll be saying if I was out there. Every time they put a microphone in my face. <laughs> I mean, why not run on that? Why not? There's nobody that can match you on it. There's no... Nobody that could shut you up about it. There's nobody that could challenge you. There's nobody that could call you out for for being some kind of way short sighted or only having like you know being a one trick pony. That's all you talk about. Yep. Until we do that, I mean, look at what it's connected to and what else can mm -hmm. be impacted by dismantling this. You can point to so many things as we've done on this program for years that are affected by this. So right. if he just ran on this one thing. Right. He could he could effectively go until the election next year this time and never be truly challenged on just standing on this one thing. Right. And all of the other candidates would have to take a stand to dismantle that system. Right. Because they couldn't they couldn't dare let him build up the, the popularity of the cause and then be the champion of it. So they would have to come in and work with him to dismantle it. And either way, it would get dismantled. Right. And then, too, he could even tie it in with his message about money and politics. Well, you know who else spends a whole lot of money uh, to to uh, influence the political process? That's the GEO Group and the Correction Corporations of America and all these other affiliated or uh, corporations. They spend big money lobbying Congress to, to erect you know, these laws that have led to mass incarceration, which we really know is slavery. Well, I don't expect them to go that far, but you know what I'm saying? He can even be tying it to that. So let's get, you know, big money is behind private prison slavery in this country, and we need to get big money out of, out of our lives by abolishing private prisons and jails. He need me to be on his campaign team. <laughs> he don't. He don't want to get assassinated on the campaign trail. No, he don't. He don't need you. <laughs> He's trying to live, man. Because you know what's gonna happen if you really start talking about dismantling system and uh, removing billionaires from the scene. You know what's gonna happen to you, right? They're gonna find a scandal on you. They're gonna find something to get rid of you. Well, but he's lived a full stay, life. Stay, He's lived What's a full that? life. He, he, you know, we can't live forever. You know, make Take a sacrifice. Team, huh? huh? <laughs> Take one for the team. Exactly. Take one. That would galvanize us into perhaps a, a war to finally <laughs> abolish slavery in this country or something. You know? <laughs> He'd be the he'd be the Tupac of uh of presidential <laughs> candidates, man. They love him forever. They'd be talking about all of his greatest hits and what a great man he was. And look how they shot him down in the streets and talking about freedom. It'll be a great legacy. Yeah. 
Well, anyway, <laughs> back to reality. <laughs> He's going to start arguing with Hillary about the Benghazi trials and just move on. Let's That's take our last that. break, That's man. the end of that conversation. Now they can all uh, join together talking about bringing in refugees after what happened in Paris and act like what's going on in America is, is now irrelevant. Right. So what about all, all them refugees the that's in these uh, homeless uh, shelters and living in cars and cardboard boxes? And how are you solving them that problem? you putting them in prison. So anyway, let's take right. our last break of the night, man. All right, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We will be right back. This is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. And we are back. This is New Abolitionist Radio here on the Black Talk Radio Network. This is Johanna Nelaya. You are listening to myself and Brother Scotty Reed, the man that created it all and made it all possible and facilitates just so many programs, so much news, so much information, changing lives every day, changing people's destinies, giving them an opportunity to get their voice out getting the news out there, getting the information to people that otherwise probably never would have heard or learned what they heard and learned through uh, the networks that he produces, the programs he produces and, and uh, puts out there. Scotty Reed is always uh, thankful for your uh, giving me the opportunity to, to give my voice out here. But thanking you for joining me tonight as we are missing Brother Max Parthas as he's attended to his family. Uh, once again, our prayers and well wishes remain uh with sister travel rain and we're gonna stay with you through this storm sister so we got you we got your back we got you covered in prayer and in love um interesting program tonight man we've covered a lot of ground and it's it's just all comes down to people making the decision to just do right we're not talking about some pressing issues that you know are, are really difficult to figure out from a moral standpoint we're not talking about creation versus creationism versus uh, the evolution of something. We're not talking about, you know, uh, yeah. uh, spending money on this or or, or defunding that, that it, you know, schools or healthcare. Or, we're talking about slavery, man. You would think it's a no-brainer. You would think slavery, some everybody would be like, no, no, we don't want slavery. And they would just stop doing what they're doing. But they don't. So that's why we're here. We got about, uh, what, 15, 16 minutes left of the program. Well, I think, uh, yeah, somewhere around there. So the phone lines have been open tonight if you are listening, uh, 641-715-3660, extension 549-032-POUND. Uh, hit star six, and uh, you'll be prompted to press the number one when you are ready to comment on air, but most definitely comments, questions, uh, any news or information. Uh, pertaining to 21st century slavery and human trafficking. We are definitely inviting you and welcoming you to come and share with us uh, in, in the program. So uh, any more thoughts about Bernie <laughs> before we move to one of our last stories? I, I don't know, man. I don't know if he's trying to do the rope-a-dope on her or what, man. But, <laughs> I mean, I'm like, man. And there was another piece of legislation, Johanna, that he introduced that had something to do with 
it's some kind of way it tied into uh, 21st century slavery and human trafficking, but I can't recall what it is right now. And it just came mm -hmm. out like last week, and I reported about it, I believe, on my program, or I shared the information. I'm going to have to look it back up. But just that one bill alone, the, the uh, um, um, Justice is Not for Sale Act 2015, he wouldn't have to talk. You know, I'm, right now, I'm, I'm kind of lamenting the fact that Hillary Clinton who has done who has done so much damage to her husband and and people want to put it all on her husband but look that that was a package deal if you got bill you got hillary all right hillary right. was not the you know the um the little woman just going to stay in her place and and be seen and not heard hillary clinton is an ambitious woman who has been involved in politics since she was a teenager Okay, so she is just as responsible for any legislation that came out of her husband's administration as he is. And we know, you know, that they have um, overseen the largest expansion of legalized slavery that this country has ever seen. All right. And it just I, I'm just I'm just so frustrated. I'm so I, I don't want to say angry, but I'm just so frustrated that so many black voters i ain't talking about all black people because all black people don't vote but i'm so so frustrated that i can't apparently i can't reach those people who are supporting hillary's campaign they make up the difference right now in her leads in the right. polls and obviously they have not been hit with the abolitionist message they have not been told I don't know what they have. I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be understanding. But I'm like, come on, dog. Now, I ain't got there. There is no excuse for John Lewis. There is no excuse for those, all of those black political representatives. I think they didn't clone him. That ain't the real John Lewis. They, they did he, something, they man. They, his, like maybe they gave him a little bottom. A, a drone bottom. Maybe he got a lobotomy or something that kicked in after all them years. You know, of they got a chip in, the head. in him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But ain't no way that man got an appetite for buttered biscuits the way he act like when he's on TV. <laughs> man, but I'm just, I'm lamenting that fact, man. I'm lamenting that fact. And, and, and Bernie Sanders could get every last single, not every last single one of them, but he could drastically undermine her support. If he just told the truth about her, hey, Hillary, remember you wrote that book called uh, It Takes a Village? What was you talking about in that book? Zero tolerance right. in our schools? No, zero tolerance. Yeah, didn't you see that, that young black girl down there in uh, Spring Valley? That's what zero tolerance looks like. Or, hey, Hillary Clinton, you know, um, do you endorse or support my bill? Um, I forget. We should say the other guy's name, the uh, Hispanic guy down there in Arizona. That's the co-sponsor of the bill on the House side. Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot. I forgot the man's name. Yeah, right uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to start remembering to mention him. But we're talking about, you know, Bernie though. That man, he has an abolitionist platform that has not been seen since Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Now, it hasn't been seen since Abraham Lincoln, and even though we know Abraham Lincoln was a big liar and a fraud, and he was lying to the abolitionists in the Republican Party, which started out as an abolitionist platform. He was just telling them what they wanted to hear to get the vote and whatnot, and we hope Bernie Sanders ain't one of them dudes or whatnot. 
but he is the first presidential candidate to have any element of abolitionism in his platform. That's what abolition is. He's talking about abolishing private. Yeah, he's using the right. word ban, but he's talking about abolishing, abolishing a very important and strategic part of legalized 21st century uh, um, slavery and human trafficking. And if I was him, every opportunity, that is what I'll be. Ta I'll be talking about that more than climate change. I'll be talking about that more than. Well, I would. I would just incorporate it into my my message about Wall Street. You know, hey Hillary Clinton, you getting all this money from Wall Street? Yeah, you know, uh, I think that they expect something in in return for all that money. And whatnot. So, uh, yeah, Wall Street. And we know Wall Street's historical connection to the institution of slavery right now. Private prison stocks are being traded. Slaves are being traded today on the, yeah. un on the U.S. stock exchange. See, that's what I'm saying, man. He he need to yeah. hire me, man. I would take time off, or or I I think I could, you know, if he paid me good, I could still get some equipment that I could still do my duties uh, uh, as it pertains to Black Talk Radio Network and and write speeches for him at the same time. But I mean, he's <laughs> blowing it, man. He's blowing it. Right. Yeah. Well, then you have to ask if he was ever meant to to carry the ball right. and score in the first place. I think right. he's just been a decoy. Right. The whole time, but as far as his uh, like running on the being the, the the latest Lincoln. I mean, look at how they pushed. They pushed the Abraham Lincoln image onto uh, President Obama, like like them shoes really fit him. And honestly, he didn't do nothing that would align him with Abraham Lincoln. Nothing. And I'm not praising Lincoln. I'm just saying there was there was literally nothing between I mean they were both attorneys, I guess. That's the Well, they both but, I mean, but they both hand, came from Springfield, Illinois. That's where they, you know, allegedly got yeah. their start in politics and holding public well, office. Lincoln was a self was a was an apprentice, a self taught attorney. Mm -hmm. uh, Obama was a was a paid <laughs> was a paid in full. You know, they put him in the schools they wanted him in and to represent. So, I, I mean, there's really no comparison between how they were educated and how they practiced law all the way up to achieving the, the highest office in the land. So I don't know why they pushed that image on him the way they did. But I, know, I, know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I got it, Johanny. I got it. I know. It was an inside joke. The great <laughs> deceiver. The great <laughs> deceiver. That's yeah. what it was. That's what, cause that's what I call Lincoln, the great deceiver. Yeah. He deceived yeah, all he them Union is. troops that was fighting to end slavery once and for all. He deceived them right. enslaved Africans with their emancipation that was only a temporary hall pass. You know what I'm saying? Right. He did the great deceiver. And Obama, I don't know if we can really call him a deceiver because he ain't never promised us nothing in terms of freedom and slavery and, and anything like that. Right. But well, just his skin color, come. just his skin color was a deception, you know? Right. Because we ain't never had one of them before. And so we can get him in and we can get a whole lot of stuff pushed through. And a lot of people will think, well, in the last two years of his second term that, you know, he's going to roll back and, and abolish slavery. And, and we ain't seeing that happening. 
But we gonna keep no. we gonna keep banging on them though. Right. The other uh, representative from Arizona is uh, uh, Raul M. I don't even know how you say it. Gr- Gr- Gravala. Gravala, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's the one that's on the ticket. That's on the on the legislation with him. And I gave you a link in the uh, in our little communication box uh, for the Bernie Sanders uh, move to. Uh, uh, decriminalize or remove the federal ban on marijuana. That's, That's it right there. That's it right there. That's it right mm-hmm. there. That's the number one tool that these slave catchers use. Oh, I smell weed right. in the car. You know what I'm saying? Right. This is a plant. This is the reason why we got so many military veterans locked up because they were trying to pe- they treat their PTSD, which the medical right. community That's has right. already said is highly effective in treating PTSD. You know, and, and but what did Hillary Clinton say? Hillary Clinton said, well, I don't want to remove it completely. I'll move it from schedule one to schedule two, which means that they can then study its municipal benefits. Its municipal benefits is already fully known, you know. And, and right, so I would, right. if I was Bernie Sanders, I'd be hammering that home, man. Well... I maintain he's not uh, he's not running to win. He's he's running to to, to sheep herd. That's what it appears, man. That he'll gladly hand off next. Uh, what about? What, I mean, I, I guess the the bet would be the money would be on betting when is he gonna hand off the hand off the baton to her. I'm gonna guess. Uh, well, I mean, what would you think would be fair? I, I'm gonna guess about April. Uh, I'll wait till after the winter, probably about March, April of next year. He'll we'll go ahead see. and say, "We'll see, that? we'll see." I, 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 yeah. I, you know, I don't want to be totally negative on him because maybe he, you know, him and uh, what's the guy named Keith Ellison when they introduced the uh the the bill, uh, Justice is Not for Sale Act, said that they were behind the scenes, you know, talking to people, and we know how politics work, and maybe. You know, uh, um, you know, it's just not ready to be made public. Maybe some deals being made, some arms being twisted, right. uh, some compromises. We know how politics work in this country, and maybe he he's saving, you know, this ammunition for later. Who knows? I, I but I certainly understand where you coming from. I understand where Max coming from. Because it just doesn't make sense, man. It doesn't make sense that he isn't going hard. Well, maybe he's concerned about being seen. Because, you know, Hillary Clinton, every chance she gets, she reminds you she's a woman. You know, <laughs> she tells you, "I'm a, by the way, I'm a woman. Uh, by the way, you know. And, and so maybe he's trying to be, you know, handle her with kid <laughs> gloves gentleman, huh? yeah and so that the people won't be coming out look at him he's a misogynistic pig and and yeah and because they already tried that card on the one time when he said that people in america need to stop shouting at each other over gun control legislation what did she say i'm not shouting and he wasn't even talking about right. her personally but she tried to make it personal see because that's all she got is tricks because she ain't got right. she ain't got no platform no policies that's going to benefit the masses of people. And so, therefore, she got to right. rely on tricks and sheep herders. And I hope Bernie Sanders ain't no sheep herder. Well, I hope so. So, uh, I guess well, since we're on the political kick, or we can uh, bust our last story out, get some final thoughts, and wrap it up. I wanted to also mention this story about California. Uh, and 
even after Prop 47 and even after We actually got a call. Judge, oh, man, I thought that was Max, man, and I missed him. I think that was Max. Was just, oh, the call in? Yeah, that and he dropped. He probably well, had to he hang might up. call back. If it was, call back. Caller, call back. We only got five minutes. Lotus Place coming on, and I'm interested yeah, in hearing what five, they say. five minutes. Yeah, uh, Lotus. Hey, just real quick. Just real quick. Lotus Place saying oh, okay. that they have a program coming on tonight, and apparently President Obama has issued an executive order, 13603, and she's asking the question, is it setting us up for slave camps? So I don't know what that's about. First, I heard of it. But Lotus Place is coming up at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Right on. Um, but to, to try to shoehorn this last one in, California funds new prisons despite law to reduce inmates. Like we've been talking about for years. California was ordered by a Supreme Court judge to reduce the number of inmates, and they did not comply for like six or seven or eight years, just straight up did not comply. And even when they did comply, they just shipped people out, human trafficking, shipped folks out to, I think, five or seven other states um, and put them in private prisons in other states and then claimed that their roles had been reduced when really the taxpayers are still paying the housing people in other states in private prisons. So anyway. California officials voted on Thursday to divert $500 million to open new jails, replacing jail beds with medical and uh, mental health beds. Criminal justice and civil rights activists protested the decision, which counters the purpose of the popular Proposition 47 passed last year to reclassify low-level felonies and misdemeanors and redirect funds to reduce recidivism. Californians didn't... Johanna, I don't mean to interrupt you, man, but we got like two calls... And we definitely share these stories uh, on on Facebook. But the bottom line for that story is voters went to the polls to pass a a ballot initiative uh, to do what, Johanan? To reduce the the, uh, prison populations. And so they just turned right around and... And, uh, spent hundreds spent of millions. What is that? To open more prison prisons. A half a billion dollars, right? Five hundred million to open new jails and that's stuff. And, 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 and so, yeah, that's a story that we definitely need more attention. But we're running out of time. Um, first, let me go to nine seven three nine seven three. Thank you for chiming okay. in. Uh, please uh, go ahead with your question or your comment. Hopefully, we can answer it in a few minutes. Good evening, Johanna, and good evening, Mr. Reed. How are you guys doing? Peace, good, peace, good evening. Peace. Good evening. Great. The reason why I was calling, I've been thinking about this, the uh, Democratic uh, nominees for presidential candidates, and, and, and the question has been on my mind with respect what, uh, about Bernie Sanders. Why hasn't he not attacked Hillary? He's got so much information on her. And, you know, when they did the la- not the one that just recently went down, but the, the one before that where he said, oh, I'm so tired of these emails away with it. It just, I don't know about you guys, but it shined a different light in me. Like he was not running, he's not running for president. He's trying to run for something in her cabinet or something. That's what <laughs> I had. I mean, I'm just, I mean, he, he, he's great. I love his policy. The fact that he, like you said about abolition, he talked about, you know, really trying to help in a lot of areas that Hillary is not touching upon. And like you said, I do, do Johan believe that, uh, 
that Mr. Um, oh, that guy you just said has a, he, he's an implant. He's not the real person anymore. Oh, John Lewis. Oh, John Lewis. <laughs> no, John, John was John Lewis. <laughs> I truly agree. He, he can't be that same guy who got hit in the head uh, uh, back in the 60s. That's what I have for you guys tonight. Keep All right. Thank what you. You're doing. Peace. Peace. Thank you. All right, uh, Max, I think we got Max on the line. Max, we got like a few minutes, man. Good that you could call in. Uh, please go ahead. Peace, brothers. Uh, I, I listened to some of the show. I just got in uh, from the hospital with my wife. She had what they call a mini stroke. It's her second one, and they're keeping her there. But she, I was going to stay again tonight, and she was. she's like a trooper. She's like, you got to do an abolitionist workshop tomorrow. Go home tonight, get ready, do your thing tomorrow, and I'll be okay. So I, I just got in and listened to a few of the things you guys are saying. So I appreciate your prayers and concern. Thank you very much. Great show. Uh, fantastic pointing out about California, too. It's actually $2.5 million that they were allocating for jails, new constructions of jails, exactly as we predicted, uh, which we got from the GEO group. This is the new trend. They're moving from prisons. They're making it look like they're de decarcerating and instead building jails, which have no standards. The jails have no standards. So, Do yeah, the last it. minute, I guess the final statement is what I get. <laughs> yeah. Remember this, people. Abolition is the reason for a revolution. So we can finally know some damn peace. 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 Q&A is clear.